Hey sinners, I'm Megan. And I'm Lindsay. And this is Sinners Among Saints. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sinners Among Saints. We hope you guys had a great week. Um, I just returned from Lake Powell, so I had a pretty good week. It was nice and sunny and lots of water. Yeah, was the weather there like brutally hot like it was here? No, it. I mean, it was hot, but I don't feel like it was as terrible as what it seemed like here. <laughs> yeah, so when you guys hear this episode, will be a couple weeks from now probably, but... Right now in Salt Lake, we're having this intense heat wave, and it's been like 104, 105, and it is September. Yeah. So this is like record-breaking heat, and it was so freaking hot. We stayed inside the majority of the time. We did go venture out to Lagoon. We went, we took the kids to see Jaws um, in 3D, which they actually loved. It was really fun. Kind of nostalgic. It's a great movie. Great movie. Yeah, it was, um, it was hot there, but it's insane to see the level difference in the water and you can see on the rocks, like, I mean, 50 feet of water is gone. And like the place that our houseboat was, um, my boyfriend Cody was saying when he was like 16 or 17, they had camped in that same spot, but it was like 30 feet higher And it was like, from where we were, it was like up this big hill. And then there was like a little kind of area up there. He's like, that's where, he's like, you see that hill? Like we would kneeboard down the hill into the water. And it's right now, it's like, like, yeah, it's like the side of a cliff. Like it's, it's crazy to, you know, if you've never been there, you're like, oh, there's plenty of water here. Like it's fine. But hearing the stories from his family that have been there a bunch, it's insane to see how low the water is getting yeah we didn't even we haven't even taken out the boat this whole summer which is so rare for us but all the lakes are just so 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 low yeah it's nuts if any of you do get a chance to go to lake pal it is so beautiful just being on the water but then having these rock formations around you it's such a different um environment than your normal your normal like lake environment where it's either really woodsy or like tropical it's just such a different I don't know it's so it's so pretty and I've never been there I've never been to Lake Powell yeah it's even camping there yeah it's beautiful it really is something that like and I'm not an outdoorsy person like Lindsay's our camper and like does all this stuff like I don't do that. So yeah, which is so weird because now you've been there multiple times and I'm like, we go camping and fishing and we're just outside all the time, especially in the summer. Yeah. And I've never been. Yeah. The houseboat is as camping as we get. And that's like, (laughs) it's, it's as much as I'm ever going to do. Cause yeah, we just start that way. But yeah. Well, speaking of like outdoor camping stuff, this next case actually involves a couple who was very outdoorsy. Uh-huh. So we can just kind of jump right in. Yeah, I'm pretty excited because I don't know what this case is. I have no idea. She 
let me know the name, but I didn't look him up or anything. So I'm excited to kind of Which to hear. I think once you start hearing it, this case is really recent. Like it, it actually just wrapped up uh, in May of okay. 2022. So it's like really recent. So I think a lot of this is going to jog your memory, but I definitely learned a whole lot that I didn't remember hearing uh, in the news. So I'm excited. It's kind of banana case. It's very odd. Uh, so this is the case of Brie Lynn Odison and Riley Powell. So Brie Lynn, who was better known to family and friends as Breezy, was just 17 years old. And Riley, her boyfriend, was 18 years old. And the two had only been dating for about four months and were both living in this super small town called Eureka. Um, in December 2017, this cute young couple was visiting family and friends and just kind of making the rounds over the Christmas holiday in a town about an hour away called Tooele. And Breezy had kind of grown up there. She actually graduated from Tooele High School. And so they were just kind of visiting all of her family. Um, and Tooele is kind of in the West Desert of Utah, so there's not a ton out there, but uh, both of these teens had kind of hard upbringings, which was really sad. Breezy actually lost both of her parents, but she lost her mom about six years before this, mm-hmm. and the two were really, really close, for, so it was just a huge loss for her, and she was still really kind of struggling with everything. Did they say, did you say how she lost her parents? The only thing I could find was an accident, and it didn't sound like it was the two of them together. It sounds okay. like she lost her dad first, okay. and then lost her mom later, but it said it was just an accident. Oh, so I don't know if it was a car accident or something like that. That's awful. It didn't sound like it was an illness, and it sounded like it was just kind of sudden. Ugh. I mean, we both, <laughs> we both know what it's like to lose a mom. All of a sudden, so that's uh, terrible. It's terrible, and I can't imagine, I mean, when I lost my mom, I mean, we were both adults, still young adults, but adults, and it was so, so hard, and I can't imagine at 17, all the stuff you're dealing with and getting ready to graduate high school and all of this, and it's just like dealing with that, and I mean, she lost... She lost her mom when she was like 11. So having to deal with yeah. all of puberty and everything like that, I just, I can't even no, fathom it. I can't either. That's awful. So she was still just kind of really struggling. And her aunt came out and said she was just really looking for stability and kind of to be loved. And when she met Riley, she felt like she had found just that. So she felt like she could trust him completely. And the two had a lot in common. Riley was actually adopted by his grandmother, Linda, and his grandpa, Bill. And just so this doesn't get confusing, he does call his grandpa, Bill, dad, because when they adopted him, it became like his dad. Okay. So you'll hear me refer to his dad, Bill. Um, That was not his biological dad. That's his biological grandpa. And he was adopted by them when he was younger. It didn't say how old he was, but he was taken away from his biological mom, whose name was or is Misty Carlson. And Misty just had a lot of issues with drug addiction and just wasn't a great mom, which we can also kind of relate to. Sure can. We should note, though, that even though Misty had lost custody of Riley, they still spoke often. Okay. And in fact, she was one of the people that the couple was visiting over the Christmas holiday. Okay. 
So they were still in contact, still in touch. So it just seemed like these two clicked immediately and had a really great relationship. They were quite in love and were actually living together with Riley's dad. And Breezy's aunt was even quoted saying she felt safe with him and this was a serious relationship, not just a teenage fling. Like they had really felt like they had found their person at such a young age. Okay. So after several days of visiting family, the two got into Riley's Jeep to venture back home, which was to Eureka, Utah, on December 30th, 2017 at around 9 in the morning. And they had planned to stop at another family member's house in Spanish Fork, which is on the way, but they never made it. And it sounded to me like the family wasn't too worried about them not stopping because it wasn't like a definitive plan. It was just kind of like, hey, we might stop by on the way home. Yeah. So there was no like big red flags when they didn't stop. Okay. But this is where it gets a little weird to me. So the couple wasn't reported missing until January 2nd, 2018, which is three days after they left Tooele and were last seen. And I couldn't really find any reports why this was, but I'm just not sure why three days went by before they were reported missing. So maybe they were just waiting to see if the teens would show up, or I don't know if they contacted the police and the police just said, you know, we, we can't report them missing until they're until it's been the 72 hours yeah um but so i'm not sure well you know like i don't know how their families are but if if it's like some families that may have like drug issues or or those kinds of you know kind of stuff like it's not uncommon for like some of your family to not be heard from for a few days yeah so it might have been you know it might be kind of normal and then eventually they're like oh wait been several days maybe we should yeah you know the only thing is bill his dad is who they actually lived with okay and he as far as i know has no drug issues he seems like a really good stand-up guy yeah so for me i was just like "Hmm, i don't know if he was out i mean i just don't know yeah i don't know the situation yeah i guess i didn't realize but they lived with yeah so the two lived with Riley's dad, Bill. Maybe you said that and I just didn't listen. No, that's okay. (laughs) But regardless, the searches began after the teens were reported missing. And this is, again, is a really hard situation because nobody knows where to start the search. Right. Because they were last seen in Tooele with an endpoint of Eureka. So they did decide to start the search around Eureka, though. And some sources said this was because someone came forth and said that they had seen the two riding in the Jeep near Eureka, so they thought they had at least made it back close to home. Okay. So Eureka is a super small town outside of Provo with a population of only about 700 people. Uh, It's actually considered a ghost town, and most families who live there have lived there for, like, generations. It really is considered a ghost town? Yeah, which I had no clue. I mean, I know Eureka, and I've I've driven past it more than once, but I didn't know it was considered a ghost town. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know. I had no idea that either. So I want to live in a ghost town. I thought that was kind of a fun <laughs> fact. It sits in the Tintic Mountains, which it's like very, very remote. Tintic? I had never heard of I've Tintic. I've never heard it's of that. T-I-N-T-I-C. Tintic Mountains. Weird. 
So around this area, there's like a lot of off-roading trails and camping sites nearby, little reservoirs, lakes. It's just very, very outdoorsy. Mm -hmm. And so this couple like to take the Jeep and kind of go off-roading and camping. So it was initially thought maybe they had just gone off-roading on their way home and maybe got in an accident or got stuck and their phones had died. So many volunteers just came out and started searching the mountains and the surrounding areas including the trails that the two visited frequently. Okay. Now, the police department, in the meantime, had gotten a warrant for phone records to see if Riley's phone had pinged to any local towers, which could help the teams isolate a location for the search. But Riley had a prepaid cell phone at the time, and it hadn't pinged to any local towers. So the family thought, oh, well, maybe he's out of minutes, so they went and put minutes on his cell phone. But that didn't help because his phone was off at the time, and I guess it has to be turned on and be able to ring in order to triangulate a signal. Okay. So at that point, it was just kind of a dead end. So after a couple of days of searching, people are really starting to get worried about this couple because at the time, average temperatures in Eureka were around mid-20s, and that dropped, as we know in Utah, even less at night. So if the two were stuck somewhere in the Jeep, their window of finding them alive was kind of closing quickly. Yeah. So the searches just got even more intense and they were pretty exhaustive. Like literally the entire community and surrounding communities were out searching for these kids. Well, yeah. Like you only have 700 people in your town. Like everyone knows everyone. Yeah. I mean... We grew up, I mean, these families go way back. Yeah, like, we grew up in a small town, and, like, everybody knew everybody, and it was much bigger than 700 people. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of the good thing about such small towns is, like, you have this sense of community. So if something bad happens to one of you, it's like it's happening to everybody. Yeah, for sure. So even, like, surrounding communities, like, different small towns around the area, even people from Provo were coming up. Yeah. Like everyone was just pitching in yeah. to search for these guys, which was, I mean, that's just really good to see. So they had people in like four by four vehicles on horseback, ATVs, foot, everything, just trying to find Riley and Breezy. And on January 7th, they even started doing air searches um, to see if they could find anything that way as well. So they're really just pulling out all the stops, but they just keep coming up empty handed. Until January 7th, some searchers find this abandoned campsite in the mountains. And so everybody, the family searchers, everyone involved just gets their hopes up. And they're like, okay, maybe this is them. Mm -hmm. We know they had some camping gear in the Jeep. Like, maybe maybe this is them. Yeah. And, however, when it was searched, it was none of their equipment. And there was still no sign of them. So something else to note here that's really odd is that Riley's biological mom, who I mentioned earlier, Misty, Uh had not been involved in any of the searches for the teens. What? Yeah. So Misty lived with her boyfriend, Lee Shepard, and a lot of people just found it so strange that they weren't more involved in the early stages of the searches. Yeah. And, I mean, she was just kind of like, they called and told her that the kids were missing, and she was like, okay, well, let me know if anything turns up. Well, and you know in in small towns like that, that, like, even if there was no news coverage, like, everyone's talking about it. Everyone's out. Like, there's word out everywhere. Like, we're doing a search. We're doing this. Like, we meet at this place. Like, it's out there. So, that's super weird to just be like, well, like, let me know. Like, I'll just be here. 
yeah, you know, like, like they're okay. Yeah, like yeah, like as a mom, I just I cannot even fathom that. Right, and even if you haven't raised your kid, like the circumstances are what they are, you would think you still have that innate love for your child and their well being, and you want like for them to not be dead. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you would think, but like I don't know. She just has zero motherly instincts. I, I don't yeah. know. I just, I, I can't even imagine just being like, oh yeah, my kid's lost somewhere and I yeah. have no idea where, and I'm just going to sit here and not help out with the searches. I felt like worried about certain cases that you see on TV where it's like people have gone missing. I'm always like, I wonder what happened. Like, you know, <laughs> trying to follow up and find like, did they find the person? Like what's going on? So if it was my own child. Yeah. Like strangers like, are getting way more invested in this right. than his own mom. Yeah. And you're probably already labeled a shitty mom, like, because you haven't had your kid, right? Like mm-hmm. someone else's raised it. So like you're really living up to that um, yeah. stereotype that you've been given. Yeah. And I mean, this was just a huge red flag for most people involved in the search. It is they, for me. For sure. Most people just can't even imagine that. So. Yeah. Um, on January 8th, they still haven't found anything, and the search was expanded to include three more counties. So they just keep expanding, expanding. And a lot of people suggested looking at traffic cameras to see if they could spot the Jeep anywhere to give them a better idea of where to search. But Utah Department of Transportation didn't have a database in that area that records traffic data. So it was just like another day. Yeah, because you're like in the middle of nowhere. They're yeah. like, yeah, we don't record. Well, and they probably don't there. have a lot of cameras out there. Right, like, yeah. You know? But. Yeah. Anyway, so then on January 11th, we get a huge break in the case. So Riley's Jeep is finally found by searchers. So it's found in Juab County, which is the county that Eureka is located in. Okay. And it's about a mile south of Cherry Creek Reservoir, which is just a small little reservoir. Mm-hmm. And it's found hidden in some trees and it has two flat tires and all the windows are left down, which again is really strange because remember the temps are in the 20s. Yeah. So why would you have all of your windows right. rolled down? So police at this location release cadaver dogs just to see if they can pick up yeah. any sort of a scent and find these, these kids, but they don't pick up anything. So we have Weird. a Jeep, but still zero sign of Riley and Breezy. Yeah. It's like they literally just vanished. Yeah. So five days later on January 16th, the Juab County Sheriff's Department issues a press release that shifts the investigation a bit. Um, In the press release, they state that the circumstances around the Jeep's condition and placement is very highly suspicious of foul play. So the way the Jeep was positioned, it looked like it was intentionally hidden from view so that people couldn't find it. Right. And then as, of course, they start looking at the Jeep a little closer, the flat tires were found not to be accidental, but someone had actually split the tires. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's also this camouflaged tow rope attached to the Jeep, like the type used when a car breaks down and another vehicle has to tow it. Yeah. So at this point, the police are continuing to search for any sign of the teens, but they also start looking into suspects. So one of their biggest suspects is Riley's biological mom. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know if there was anything else that was red flags to them other than their past relationship and her not being super worried about her son. Yeah. Um, but they decide to serve a search warrant on Misty's residence. And this is where she's living with her boyfriend, Lee. Okay. And during the search, they find just a bunch of stuff. They find a bunch of drugs and drug paraphernalia. And then they find a receipt dated 12-28-2017, which is just two days before the teens disappear. Okay. And the receipt is for camo tie-down straps. Oh, weird. They also <laughs> find a second camo tie-down strap that matches the one found on Riley's Jeep exactly. People are so stupid. Uh-huh. So stupid. So everyone starts really focusing in on Riley's mom and Lee. And an anonymous source even comes forward and says they saw the truck matching the description of Lee Shepard's truck towing a Jeep out by Cherry Creek. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so this has been going on for days and you don't come forward with this tip until now. Yeah. Like, that's just super weird to me. I hate it when it says anonymous tips because I feel like, if it's a credible something, why are you remaining anonymous? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I guess there's a lot of reasons for that, but this just kind of sends shivers up my spine. Like, I just didn't yeah. quite know what to make of this. Um, and it was just bizarre timing. Like, they already found the tow rope and the Jeep, and then all of a sudden they release that and say, oh, by the way, yeah, I saw this guy's truck cho- towing a Jeep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you always get those people that like call in, you know, after like stuff has been released because it's like they, I don't know, like they want to be a part of the investigation, whether they're being anonymous or not. Like they just, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's a weird psychology behind that. Which is also weird because, you know, a lot of killers actually try and insert themselves. For sure. And so then I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Who is this anonymous? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But another thing that's super weird is Lee. So at this point, the police are like, hey, can you come down for an interview? And he is refusing to cooperate. He's like, no, I got to fix my truck and just refuses <laughs> to come in for an interview. It's not suspicious. And the police don't really have like enough to link them. Right. To say like, you have to come in yeah. or to place them under arrest. So he's just, I mean, it's just really suspicious. Right. Yeah. Um, so at this point, the police get a warrant for Riley's phone records, also including like Facebook and social media posts and messages. And what they find is just another twist in this case. So they find that the teen's final message on Facebook and Riley had been messaging a friend, a woman named Morgan Henderson on the same day he disappeared after they got back into town. Okay. And I say woman because Morgan is quite a bit older. She's 34. Okay. And remember, Riley is 18. Yeah. And we should note that it, Morgan and Riley dated briefly, which I can't find like a timeline or a lot of info on this other than it was a brief fling and it wasn't super serious. But why is the 34-year-old dating an 18-year-old? I have no idea. It's I... just super, super <laughs> weird. But... It ended, and the two remained friends and still kind of chatted back and forth. And apparently they had done drugs together in the past, and mostly just marijuana, 
but they wanted to meet up and get some drugs from Henderson. And so Morgan tells police that Riley and Breezy stopped by and hung out at her house on their way home for about 40 minutes on the 30th when they got back into town. Okay. And they left and didn't, and she said she never saw them after that. She has no idea where they went, but that's the last known contact with the teens. And this is, again, is just insane to me because for several weeks now, it's been all over the news. Right. Everybody knows about the disappearance. Like we already talked about everyone in the community is involved. And Morgan didn't come forward and just say like, hey, yeah, they actually stopped by my house. Yeah. I was just going to ask him like, why... It, like, yeah, if that was the last place, why why didn't she come out and say, like, hey? Yeah, especially when they were trying to narrow down, like, if the teens had even made it back so they could figure out where to where, start yeah. searching. I feel like sometimes these people, I mean, obviously she, you know, they're getting drugs from her, so who knows, like, how much she deals or whatever. It's like they're more concerned about themselves and whether or not they're going to get in trouble if they maybe come forward and say, like, hey, they were at my house doing this. And then, like, what if they find stuff in my house and then I go to jail? Like, yeah. it's almost like they're more concerned about their own well-being than, like, the potential death of two children. Which is, like, typical for drug addicts. Yeah, honestly. I mean, it is. Like, they, it is a very, they, they tend to be very selfish. But it's still crazy to me. Yeah. So, during all of this, on January 27th, the family celebrated Breezy's 18th birthday Aww. without her, without knowing where she was or what happened to yeah. her. Um, so they had a big get together and released like hundreds of balloons in her honor. Mm. And they were just really, I mean, they're just really grasping, hoping that yeah. she's alive. But, um, and at this point the trail goes cold, like literally completely cold no leads, nothing for a couple of months. Wow. So the police are still trying to find leads and still looking at Riley's mom and her boyfriend, but can't really find anything to make the case strong enough for an arrest. Then on March 27th, we finally get another break and this break is huge. So Morgan Henderson is pulled over for speeding violation. Okay. And this leads to a search of her car where police find drugs, of course, and a bunch of weapons, including an <laughs> axe, several knives, a rifle, and ammunition. What? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what she's doing with all this in her car. But she's taken to jail and ends up connecting with one of the police officers who are interviewing with her and finally just breaks down. And she literally says, I've just been feeling this tremendous guilt and finally tells police what she really knows about the teen's disappearance. And she tells a, a absolutely horrific, horrific story and is able to lead police to the bodies of Riley and Breezy. Oh, so this is going to be a trigger warning. This is where the actual murders of these two kids take place. So if you don't want to listen to this, skip ahead a little bit. So according to Morgan, the couple really did come to her house that night, uh, but that was not the last time she saw them. She says they really did smoke pot together and hung out, just chatted for about 40 minutes, and then they left. But a short time later, her 41-year-old boyfriend, Jared Baum, B-A-U-M, who was supposed to be out of town for the night, came home very, very upset. So he somehow found out that Riley and Breezy had been there, 
and was not happy about it. So apparently he's just this really super possessive, controlling, just terrible piece of shit guy. Yeah. And has told Morgan, not only is she not allowed to have any male friends in general, but especially no visitors over to the house. Oh. So when he found out that not only Breezy was there, but Riley was there, who was an ex-boyfriend of right. hers, he flew off the handle. I mean, I was thinking, like, if I were Breezy, would I really want to go hang out with, like, my boyfriend's random... <laughs> fling right you know like to me that's just like kind of it is kind of weird and like you know like sets up for potential of of whatever but having someone tell me like you can't have visitors to the house right like Like, you live here but you cannot have anybody (laughs) over and especially males yeah like for me we have a lot of male friends or neighbors that will stop by right you know it's not it's not anything like malicious or right. Like, he's just so insecure about their relationship yeah, obviously. and so controlling that he just, he's been abusive to Morgan in the past uh-huh. and he's just, he's just not a good guy yeah. at all. So he starts yelling at Morgan and she says that she's terrified. And then he grabs some gloves and a jacket and forces Morgan outside where she sees Riley's Jeep in the driveway. So the teens have left but the Jeep's in the driveway. So he forces her to get in the passenger seat, and Jared just starts driving the Jeep. And Morgan reports during the drive, he starts to act really calm and, like, almost charming and just making, like, conversation with her. So then she really starts to wonder, like, what the hell is happening? Like, what what is with this guy? Like, he's very sort of manic and just... yeah flipping a switch back and forth like from anger to charming anger Uh, to charm that would scare the shit out of me yeah like pick one or the other but if you have someone who's just got done like freaking out screaming like doing all this stuff forcing you into a car and then you get in there and then they're like super charming yeah they're like hey how was your day yeah like i really okay you serial killer yeah like who does that yeah that's it's just bizarre how fast he could switch back and forth. Yeah, super creepy. So they start driving and they drive out. He takes them to the Tintic Mountains and he stops the Jeep and tells her to get out. So at this point, she looks in the windows and notices that Riley and Breezy are tied up in the back of the Jeep with duct tape on their mouths so they couldn't speak. Okay, wait. They were in the Jeep the whole time? Yes. In the back? Yes. But we're bound with their hands behind their back yeah like on their stomachs and they had duct tape over their mouth so she had no idea that they were in the jeep creepy yeah so he gets them all out he led the group over an expanse of like snow and sagebrush and as they're walking jared removes the duct tape from their mouths and morgan said bond was joking with the teens and like making conversation like they were just out for a friendly hike (laughs) Like, he, he's crazy. Cuckoo bananas, yeah. yeah he's, he's losing it. <laughs> so, at one point, Breezy asks to be untied and starts telling Jared that she's pregnant. And, like, please don't hurt me. I'm pregnant. I just found out. And we should note right here that she's not really pregnant. 
Okay. This was proven later. She's just trying to humanize yeah. herself and like appeal to oh, anything yeah. that might smart be left on her, in Like smart on her on her end to just, like try, you know, yeah. in I that. I don't think I would have thought of to do that at seventeen. No. In yeah. that like traumatic situation. No, I don't think I would either. No, there's no way. And I did want to side note say that Utah's one of the only places you'll find sagebrush and snow together. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. (laughs) But right around where we are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, Jared, after she's like appealing to or trying to appeal to him, just basically tells her, like, we're almost there. And then congratulates both of them on being pregnant. Like, congrats on your pregnancy. That's awesome. What the hell? As he's leading them out to the woods. Yeah. All right, you great monster. So they walked for a while longer until they reached just this big, large hole in the ground. It's like this expansive dropping hole, yeah. which turns out to be an old mine shaft okay. called the Tintic Mine Standard Mine Number Two. Okay. So when they reached the mine shaft, Jared forces Breezy and Morgan to kneel down execution style, oh. and this part literally like broke my heart because as he's doing this. The only thing that Riley says is, can I please kiss my girlfriend? Oh. And Bomb, of course, says no. And then literally just starts brutally attacking Riley and just, like, beating him. So he falls on the ground, and the women are being forced to watch this. They're just feet away. His hands are still tied behind his back, so he can't defend himself at all. Oh, my God. And at first, Morgan reports she thought that Jared was just punching Riley, but then realized that he was stabbing him over and over in the head, chest, stomach, and groin. And this is a quote directly from her testimony from the trial. She said, he was silent. Then all of a sudden, he said, I'm dying. It sounded like he was drowning, and he gurgled. I remember thinking, like, I think he'd been stabbed in the lung, or his throat had been cut because he was gurgling. It sounded like he was drowning. It was the most terrible noise. That's awful. I know. Oh. Yeah. Once he finally stopped, Bomb said, Goodbye, Riley, you piece of shit. Then grabbed his lump body and threw him down the mine shaft. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Someone, someone's got some issues. Yeah, like he's not the piece of shit. You are. <laughs> yeah. like you literally just murdered an 18 year old. He's bringing his girlfriend over. It's not like he's coming over to like hang out with Morgan and like do whatever. Like he's got his girlfriend there. He wants to kiss his girlfriend before like anything happens. Like obviously. Yeah. Jared you know. thinks the two are expecting their first <laughs> right? child. He congratulates them. Like, what? And then, you piece of shit, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. This guy's got issues. Yeah. Like, you have some serious um, insecurities about yourself. And, yeah. yeah and needed counseling way before that. <laughs> right. So. So, Jared then turned to Breezy, who was crying and begging him not to kill her, pleading that she wouldn't tell anyone about what happened. He walked behind her, and in some accounts, I read that he stroked her hair. Oh, creepy. And, like, put his arms around her and just said, it's okay, darling, and then calmly slit her throat. And Morgan said she felt a 
warm spray of blood hit her, and then Breezy just slumped over. Okay, no. Mm-mm. No thanks. Yeah. Then Jared said uh, to Morgan, it's a shame I've never killed an innocent. Then tossed Breezy's body down into the mine shaft. Okay, wait. He, like, has he killed other people? Apparently no one that's been innocent. Like, he said that, like, like yeah. he's just out, like, I kill people all the time. Just never. Yeah, like, just never anyone yeah, innocent. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, terrible shame. Oh, my God. I can't imagine, like, your last moments being some freaking creeper stroking your hair. Ew. And, like, hugging Ew. you from behind. I don't want. And saying, it's okay, darling. Yeah. I don't want anyone to stroke my hair that I don't. Like, love, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I have children that do creepy things like that all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> some dude being, like, stroking my hair. It's okay, darling. Well, it's just sick that he can say these things, like, right after he just killed somebody. Yeah. Two innocent kids. Yeah. In his mind, only Breezy was innocent. Right. These were two innocent kids. Oh, creepy. So Jared wanted Riley to suffer, and it was brutal. But Morgan said he was very gentle with Breezy and, like, made it quick, which, I mean, I, I hate mean, to hear that, like, Riley suffered so much, but I'm glad that he didn't do anything like that to Breezy and that right. at least she wasn't in, like, a lot of pain. Yeah. I mean, emotional trauma, I can't even imagine, and how scared she was, but right. physically it was at least somewhat fast for her. Yeah. So Morgan at this point is still on her knees and thought that she was next. Um, So she was crying and upset and Jared told her to get up. There's a lot of work to do and that she needed to pull herself together. (laughs) Yeah. Like you asshole. Pull yourself together, man. (laughs) We got a lot of work to do. We got a long stretch ahead of us. Like, yeah. What? Put your big girl panties and help you clean up these murders. Like, what is wrong with this guy? Oh, my God. So they got back in the Jeep, and then the two drove the Jeep about 35 minutes away from the mine, and that's where they hid it. Okay. They headed home where Bomb took off their clothes, cut them into pieces, and soaked them in bleach before burning them. He then forced them both to take like bleach baths to get rid of any of the evidence. And then he threatened to decapitate Morgan if she oh told the police and also threatened to kill her six-year-old son. Oh, she had so a kid? She had a kid. Oh, but, which, did, did her kid live with her? It sounds like they did, but he was not there the night that this happened. And I mean... It's all terrible, but, like, it's one thing to be, like, you know, you tell the cops I'm going to kill you. But, like, to, to like, specify <laughs> that's going to be, like, I'm going to decapitate yeah. you for some reason. Like, that's, like, a level up for me. Yeah. Like, well, and then it goes to show that, like, okay, that's why she didn't come forward. Right. Can you imagine, like, just watching him do this like it was nothing? Yeah. And then him telling you, like, you say a word and I'm... I'm going to decapitate you and kill your son. Like, I would have believed him. Oh, for sure. There's no way I would have been like, oh, oh yeah, I'm calling your bluff. Yeah. There's no way. No. So, on March 27th, Jared was arrested and charged with two counts each of felony kidnapping, aggravated murder, and desecration of a body, 
and one count of obstruction of justice. So do we ever find out, like, how he found them? Like, because no. he was supposed to be out of town. How did he know that they were over? Like, where were they when he, like... So from everything that I could find, it said that he just came home early and saw the Jeep there and basically, like, waited for them to come out. And then okay. just and basically just started it there. Attacked them. Okay. Yeah, like right there in the driveway. So okay. I don't know that they even left. I don't know if he followed them and then brought the Jeep back right. somewhere. I have no idea. I couldn't find anything like okay. that. But um and Morgan was also arrested and charged with obstruction of justice. And she had all of that drug paraphernalia and weapons. Um yeah. Also, all those charges. Yeah. So she did make, like, a plea deal that said, you know, if you take prison time off the table, that she would testify against Baum. Okay. Did she ever say, like, did she have the weapons to protect herself? Who knows? I mean, an axe. Like, I that was... <laughs> like, that's... Well, I mean, like, I mean, if she was, like, outdoorsy where they <laughs> lived... I mean, I might carry an axe in my car. <laughs> like, we have an axe every time we go camping. I mean, I guess you know? I'm not so outdoorsy, so. I have, I have no idea. But, she, I mean, she also had several knives, which right. can also be from camping. I mean, Utah, yeah. Knives and, and guns are, like, super rifles, common in Utah. So. But I just like the idea of being like, well, where's, gotta get my axe. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it in the back seat. Well, in one interview that I saw that she did, it actually mentioned that she was, the night that she got caught up, caught speeding Mm -hmm. and pulled over she was actually like high on mushrooms and she was headed up to the mountains because she was going to kill herself oh because she couldn't live with the guilt is what she said okay and she just didn't want to live with the fear of that jared was going to kill her she was taking some options with her yeah (laughs) so i different ways out that's what she was planning on doing oh I'm i'm not sure okay all right but so in 2019, June 9th, actually, 2019, Baum pleads not guilty, and the trial doesn't start until March 7th, 2022. Now, I wonder if that probably had to do with COVID. Yeah, it had a lot to do with COVID and the defense also, because they kept filing like motion after motion. <laughs> like They tried to get the death penalty removed from the table because they argued it was cruel and unusual punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So and cruel. Baum declined his right to a speedy trial. Like, this guy just, he did not want to face the music. Right. So it sounds like the defense, they just kept filing motion after motion in the pre-trials, like grasping at straws and dragging their feet, which also just hurts my heart so much because the families right. are just waiting for justice. And I, I mean, I get, like, there are some people who need a defense attorney and they may innocent and we have convicted innocent people like it's just I think the nature of of the world like you just you know can't get it right every single time but how do you like see this person you pretty much know he's guilty and then you're trying to say like how cruel and unusual like his punishment is gonna be I just don't I don't know like as a lawyer can't just be like listen we're gonna get you well, like we'll get to that because Jared actually went to school with his lawyer, like from grade school. Uh-huh. So they knew each other. Okay. And they tried to say that he was innocent. Okay. So we'll get to that okay. a little bit later. All right. Um so when the pretrial started in twenty nineteen, 
The plan was to seek the death penalty, and that's what the victim's family was like really wanted. They were pushing hard for this. Yeah. And were kind of told, like, yeah, absolutely, we will go for this. But in March 2021, and I did not remember hearing this at all, but Utah County attorney David Levitt announced that he would no longer seek the death penalty in any case. Oh. Yeah. So the family said that this was a shock to them, and they were absolutely devastated by the news. They didn't even have a heads up this was happening until it was announced, and they just felt, like, completely blindsided. And they thought it was because it was coming up as an election year. Yeah. And so is he the Utah County district attorney? Mm -hmm. Like, the... You can do... I don't even know if they could do that. They can just they could do that make a determination like, we're not... I refuse to yeah, like seek the county, death penalty. They can... That's insane. that right, I guess. So if someone's out there murdering all of the children, yep. you're not going to seek a death penalty. Yep. And I looked this up because I was like, wait, did something happen that I just yeah. was like oblivious to? Like, did we get rid of the death penalty? No, we still have it. No, we do. We're yeah. still a death penalty state, but yeah. just apparently in that county... He was like, no, I'm just not going to seek the death penalty in any cases. And I, mean, I think it was earlier this year. I can't remember the date. It was either 2021 or 2022. They appealed that. And um, it went to court. And they ended up, it was like a six to five to uphold that so that there wasn't a death oh. penalty. I mean, and I, I get about. like death you know, the death penalty is a big, like, hot-button topic. People feel, some people feel very passionate about either side. But I feel like it's more of, like, a gray, at least for me, it's more of a gray area. Like, you have to look at it case by case. Yeah, Like, there, you know, there are certain people that share life in prison is probably better, but there are some people who need the death penalty. Yeah, and I think of anyone, like, this guy deserves it. Yeah. This is one of those after I read this case and so much about it that I was like, I would have been so pissed yeah. if they were like from the beginning, like, oh yeah, we're going for the death penalty. And then all of a sudden, without any heads up, yeah. this guy just makes like a national statement that's like, hey, by the way, yeah. this isn't happening. Yeah. It reminds me of like my boyfriend when he's, it's just like, he's joking around, but he'll say something and then he'll say, I have spoken. <laughs> like, there's yeah, like end of story. Or like, yeah, or like to the kids when they're being obnoxious, and he'll be like, "No, I have spoken." <laughs> Sounds like the county attorney coming out and being like, "We're not going to seek the death penalty. I have spoken. <laughs> no more." Yeah, that's end of story. End of discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. Uh, so the trial lasted two months, and during this time, the defense really tried to pull out all the stops. They tried to get the victim's bloody clothing to not be admitted into evidence or shown at trial, arguing that the courts shouldn't show evidence to juries that could cause overly strong emotional responses because it would cause an unfair prejudice against Vaughn. <laughs> I mean, I feel like pretty much all the evidence for cases like this is going to be create an emotional response. Like, if this is a murder case. Yeah. What what evidence are you going to bring in that's... Well, and that, like, they tried to do this with the autopsy photos, too. And it's like, no, you did this. Yeah. 
So people need to, to see say yeah. that, oh, it's going to create an emotional response. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, for you sure. Two teenagers. Yeah. You like, yeah, you need to see these. You need to see what you've done. And so does everyone else. Yeah. That's crazy. So their big kind of defense was saying that bomb had nothing to do with this. And they pointed the finger at Morgan Henderson. Of course. Um, they really start coming at her and tried to question her character and reliability, claiming that she could have hallucinated the entire thing because she was doing mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. And they actually said that she was a stronger suspect, stating that her and her sister killed the teens and then framed Bomb. And they claimed her motive for killing Riley was that he had raped her in the past when they were in a relationship. I'm like, okay, so why would he go over there to do drugs and hang out with her? Right. If they And why would she agree to that? And why were they messaging and still friends yeah. if that had really happened? Yeah, if she was some rape victim. Yeah, and there's absolutely no zero evidence or proof of that. And from everything that I read about Riley, he was just this, like, super sweet, helpful, kind boy. Like, yeah. he is... Dad Bill would go up into the mountains and cut wood, um, and then they would just take it to people who needed it Aww. for the How winter. Nice. Yeah, like he's just this nice, nice kid. Yeah. So the fact that they used that, I was like, not only are you blaming Morgan, but then you're like trying to muddy Riley's name, which well, really pissed me off. And I mean, I've never done drugs, so I, you know, I can't say what is or isn't true, but. I can't imagine if you'd like take mushrooms or like any drugs that make you hallucinate, you're going to hallucinate the entire murder that really did happen. Yeah. These kids are dead. It's not like they're still alive. And she's like trying to tell people that she witnessed them being murdered. Right. I mean, it's not like some crazy that's like, I saw this and then there's no proof of it. Like she led the police to their bodies Yeah, and And like their autopsies. I'm sure, like, yeah, match up to yeah, like, what she says story. happened. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't think it was a hallucination. So, this, I mean, it's just super, super bizarre. So, after so trial weird. ended, the jury deliberated for 18 hours and came back with a guilty verdict for Bomb on April 15th. So, I wanted to read a little bit of the victim statements. Uh, there was a lot of them. I picked two because otherwise this would go on for a long time. <laughs> right. Um, so Riley's dad spoke from the heart and didn't even have anything written down, which I thought was really amazing. Yeah. And his statement says, Judge Pullen, I am Riley's father and I am writing to tell you how the loss of my only son has impacted me. Knowing that your child was brutally tortured and killed and then thrown down a mine shaft to rot was a father's worst nightmare. A very large part of my heart died that day. Riley Mm -hmm. and I were together often He worked for the same company as I did, and on the weekends, we would go to our mountain property. We would cut firewood, and Riley loved to take it to people who needed it most. He was a hard worker, diligent, and conscientious. People on the mountain and in Eureka were always asking for his help. Riley was loving and generous, especially if he thought someone needed help. I know Riley had his problems as a teenager, as most teenagers do, but we worked on them together. Riley didn't deserve what Jared Baum did to him. Jared was a 42-year-old man, and Riley was a kid. 
When he tortured and killed Riley, he first tied Riley's hand behind his back to make him defenseless. During the trial, on the audio tapes, he was heard laughing. His demeanor in court showed he had no remorse at all. He needs to spend the rest of his life in prison. We wanted the death penalty, but Mr. Mr. Levitt took that away from us. Mr. Levitt, in so many words and on more than one occasion, told us our children were not worth the cost. So, Your Honor, the only recourse we have is to ask you please consider four life sentences without parole. He does not deserve to live, but at least I know he will not kill someone else's children. Sincerely, Bill Powell. That was so awful. I can't even imagine, like, his grandpa dad loved him so much. No, his <laughs> like, like, as you were reading, I was, like, getting, like, chills. Like, just so... You know, and when you read up more about it, like, he was just there for every step of everything. Yeah. In this trial, he, like got really close to Breezy's family and, like, really brought the two families together. He's just, like, this super good human. Well, yeah, and, I mean, we know what it's like to have family members who struggle with, like, addiction and stuff, and so for him to say, you know, that I know he had issues as a teenager, but, like, we worked on them together. Like, he didn't just, I don't know. He never uh, gave up on him, and he always just, like, saw the good in him. Yeah. It's just, just like, you want everybody's dad to be like Bill. Right? Yeah. <laughs> He's just a nice, nice person. Yeah. So uh, this next one is from Breezy's aunt. Her name's Amanda Davis. And hers is um, lots of pages. So if you want to read this, you can find it online. But I'm just going to focus in on the last couple of paragraphs. Okay. And she says, Breezy and Riley only wanted to feel loved. These two kids were loved more than they will ever know. Their absence has left a hole in hearts of many, and their lives have touched thousands across the world. Through all of our turmoil, heartache, and darkness, the last four years have been we have found light and love as the loss of these two young souls have helped us find each other and our families have grown. Evil did not win. Love has won. We will truly never seek closure, see closure, or seek retribution. One can say justice is subjective, as we will never get Breezy and Riley back, but it is justice, not the justice we asked for, were promised and then callously taken from us, but we are asking for the only form of justice we can seek because of David Levitt. Your Honor, we are asking that Mr. Baum receives four counts in life, of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Thank you for your time and the opportunity to speak in court. So then, um, before sentencing, Baum requested to make a statement. Oh. The balls on this guy, man. He asked Judge Derek Pullen to be allowed to face the victim's family, to which the judge was like, uh, no, (laughs) you can't look at them. Yeah. So he declined that request. Thank you, Judge Pullen. Right. And so then Baum said to the judge, I'm not a monster. I don't kill people. I don't know what else to say, but I am sorry that those youngsters got killed, got murdered. I wouldn't have done it. I would not have done that. They were no threat. Like, what? what? You were just convicted of doing that. Yeah. So he still maintains his innocence. Uh, so he's not giving the family any closure. Continues to say he did not do that. So his attorney also made a statement and tried to claim 
that Jared had no chance because we failed him as a system and he learned most of his criminal behavior in prison. So this guy has a long rap sheet. So when he was 15, he started like breaking into cars and stealing stuff and he found a gun and he stole the gun and took it to a Burger King to try and rob it. But he went in and just started like shooting the place up. What? Yeah. Shooting the place up, rob, and he did end up robbing it. So he got convicted of that. And at one point it was attempted murder. That ended up getting dropped, but he served 11 years on firearms and weapons charges. And they tried him as an adult. Yeah. 15. So he went into the system. He was released after 11 years and then continued to just get into trouble and was in and out of jail or prison for theft and burglary and weapons charges. Yeah. And his, in his adult life, he'd only been out of prison for a total of like two years. Wow. So this guy, I feel like the death penalty, this is why it should have happened for him, is he's literally lived his whole life in the system. Right. So he doesn't give two shits if he's in the system. Yeah. Like, he will remain in prison the rest of his life. And I don't know. Like, I, I get on the fence about the whole rehabilitation thing, but it's like, you have a choice. Like... you have a choice you're not like completely insane to where you don't know right from wrong you don't know what you're doing you don't know how to like make a diff you know change or whatever and you can't sit and blame adults like well he's been in prison his whole life yeah we didn't just put him there for fun we weren't just like hey take that kid over there and go throw him in prison like he's committed crimes over and over and over yeah and like the fact that he was 15 and went and tried to shoot some people. Yeah. Like, that just goes to show you he's had this issue for a long, long time. Yeah. And I feel like our system didn't fail him. It failed Riley and Breezy. Right. Because his ass should have been in jail. Yeah. Like he he should have... It should have been, like, the three strikes rule or whatever. Right. And he should not have been allowed to be out. Yeah. I... Yeah. I don't... I... I don't know. <laughs> I just don't have sympathy for adults that, like, continue to make bad choices and we're supposed to feel bad for them. Yeah, and then blame it on everyone else. Yeah. take some accountability. That's what the system is supposed to teach you, and obviously he has not learned how to do that. For sure. And I do know when people get out of, like, prison and, you know, he was probably in a halfway house at one point. Like, they put them in programs. They have all these things available to them to do, and even if he doesn't make money or have insurance, like... There are programs in the state of Utah to get you, you know, medication, like therapy, all sorts of stuff that you don't have to pay for. Yeah. You just have to actually put in the work to do it. And a lot of people go to prison and like get to college degrees. Right. Figure out ways to give back their community and they really do get rehabilitated. Yeah. This guy is not one of those people. But that's the thing is like, it's not everyone else's job to rehabilitate you like the programs are there. The options are there. You have to put in the work. Yeah. I go to therapy. It's not like I go to therapy and I expect that my therapist fixes me. She's there to give me tools and, you know, like tell me when I'm being stupid or, you know, like see other sides of things. And then it's my job to put in the work to make myself a better person. It's not everyone else's job. Yeah. And it's not something that just happens overnight. It's no. like a continuous process. Yeah. So... The fact that he's like, oh, like the system 
failed him. Yeah, I really do. Th- I yeah, I really think people expect that, like, oh, you go to prison and they're supposed to fix the person, and this person comes out a different person. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. If they're not going to put in the work, they're not going to change. Yeah. He's going to come back out and hang out with the same people and do the same things and be, you know, the same person. Yeah. Well, and he apparently joins, like, the Aryan Brotherhood and stuff in prison. Yeah. So he's just, like, I mean, all around, this guy's just a piece of shit. Yeah. So. On June 9th, Judge Pullen sided with the victim's family, and Baum was sentenced to four consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Judge Pullen said during the sentencing, These murders were the most violent, the most selfish, the most senseless, and the most disturbing he had ever presided over. In allowing for a life sentence without the possibility of parole, the law shows more mercy to the the defendant than he showed to Riley and Breland. Each day you wake up and see the walls confining you, and each night when you close your eyes to see the walls disappear, remember that these privileges these are privileges Riley and Breezy no longer experienced because you murdered them. Because yeah. unlike your victims, you live to see another day. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought Absolutely. that was like a great statement by the judge. Yeah. And then I just kind of wanted to end the episode by saying that this situation involved three people who all had terrible and difficult childhoods, Mm -hmm. but literally only one of them turned to a life of crime and ended up being a monster. Yeah. So just like we talked about, like you have a choice. You just have to make the choice and utilize your resources. Yeah. And Riley and Breezy continued to search for the good in people and really wanted to just be together and live their life. And the family can finally grieve and find peace in their lives after almost four long years. Oh. Yeah. I, and I might reference these guys a few times just cause I'm in the middle of listening to morbid episodes, but there's one where I think it's Ash says something about like, she wishes there's a way to make people live long enough to serve like all their life sentences. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree when she said that, I was like, that is such a great idea. Like, that was a good idea. Some way to like, keep him alive for four lifetimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we needed him to live for 200 years and then just yeah. get tortured. <laughs> yeah, for Never sure. get the relief of death. And I, I hope, I mean, I hope prisons, you know, he probably actually knows people in prison. That's the thing that sucks is like, he probably knows he already has friends there. He's part of the Aryan brotherhood. Like he's got his niche of people. Um, and so he's probably, you know, He's just going just to com- right at home. Yeah, comfortable. Sucks. Yeah, comfortable there because people like him, and, and it is sad, they do get, um, what is that word? <laughs> they just get used to, like, be institutionalized. They, you know, like, he probably does feel more comfortable in prison than he does outside of prison. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, like, that does kind of suck to, like, think about it's not torture for him, I'm sure. Yeah, it does suck. And I'm, I mean, I'm just hopeful that at some point our system will say, yeah, we can put the death penalty right. on and maybe this can be right. fixed. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know. they've done that plenty of times where they removed the death. Well, but you know what? Like Charles Manson had his death penalty converted to life sentence. And even though they have death penalty again, now they didn't ever reconvert yeah. him. Well, that's the thing is I've heard it go one way, uh-huh. but I don't know that you can go back. Yeah. I don't know how that works. But. Yeah. I'm hopeful some somebody figures right. out something. So someone that this just guy can just yeah. Be someone to treats that. him like like shit while he's there. Yeah. 
at least. Yeah. So, well, so. that's a good one. I I kind of like I vaguely remember like a little bit towards the end. I kind of vaguely remember like kind of hearing about it, but that was good. I liked I liked hearing all about the the details. It's a good one. Yeah. yeah. So, good. all right. Well, I guess next week you've got something else in store for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Sinners uh, Among Saints Podcast. And you can email us at Sinners Among Saints Podcast at gmail.com. And we hope you guys come back for another listen. Thanks.